Good morning. All right, well, welcome to South Shore Baptist. Uh, excited to share with you from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, I want to start today's sermon with might potentially be the most obvious thing for a pastor to say. You ready for this? This is really good. It took me a long time to come up with this opening line, even though I've now prefaced it with this. Christianity is all about Jesus. Wow. Wow. Shocking, right? Shocking. Right? Christianity is about Jesus. Um, and so you might think that's the most obvious and cliche thing in the world for a pastor to say. You might dismiss it and say, oh, okay. Um, or you might think that it's actually the most important thing that a pastor can say. And I'll give you your, a guess, which I think it is, right? I, I think Christianity is about Jesus. That is the most important thing that a Christian can say when you're talking about your faith with someone else. That our faith is all about Jesus. And so uh, we don't often talk about that outside of Christmas time and outside of Advent. Like, who is Jesus? And sometimes I think it's actually helpful to frame the question this way What is Jesus? Right? Like, who is he? And what is he? So when you, when you think about Jesus, what comes to mind? It's an important question for each one of us to ask and to really reflect on and to meditate over. When you think about Jesus, what comes to mind? That's an important question, and it's at the heart of the book of Colossians. Uh, the Christians in Colossae were struggling to figure out uh, who Jesus is. They're struggling to figure out what Jesus is and how he is different and how Christianity is different from all the other pagan gods and goddesses and religions and worldviews and spiritualities that were going on in that region of Turkey. And so in the midst of these different spiritual viewpoints, they weren't really sure what it even meant to be a Christian. And so since being in prison would make it pretty difficult for Paul to go and be with them to sort things out, he decided to do what he could, and he wrote them a letter. And that's what we're reading today. And Colossians 1, 15 through 23 is... A beautiful passage of scripture that just proclaims Christ and tells us who and what he is. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1043, on page 1043 in your pew Bible. Uh, there is no PowerPoint up behind me today. I just want you to have your Bible open in front of you, okay? 
And this is going to be a bit of a running commentary type of sermon where we're literally just going to walk verse by verse through the text. So open up your Bible, Colossians chapter 1. I don't hear enough pages turning in front of uh, in my ears, right? So open up those Bibles and keep them open in front of you. And so I'm going to offer a word of prayer and then we'll read and dig in. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you and uh, we declare that you are worthy, uh, that you are holy. Uh, you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You have made yourself known. You are not hiding from us. Uh, you are not a mystery uh, that we need to try to figure out really hard to, to unravel and to solve. Uh, that you have revealed yourself through Jesus. And so would you reveal yourself again um, through your word? Uh, we call it your word because we believe that you have spoken it and that you continue to speak it through your Holy Spirit to us as we read and receive. And so, Father, would you uh, give me the right words to say? Uh, would you give each of us um, hearts that are soft towards your word to receive it uh, with faith? and with worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, I'll read verses 15 through 23, and then we'll walk through it together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have him, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Amen? I mean, this passage really does preach itself, doesn't it? And so um, I don't want to be too fancy here. I simply want to take verse by verse and have us walk through it together and reflect on what, what does this mean and what does this mean uh, for us today. And so first, in, in verse 15, uh, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, this is 
uh, similar to what Hebrews 1.3, which we've all already read this morning, says. That Hebrews 1.3 makes an almost identical statement. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. So who and what is he? Uh, it's common for us to think back to uh, those uh, ch children, pic those picture Bible books, um, the children's Bibles that, that we give to kids. Um, it's, uh, if you're my age or older, you might think about those flannel graphs that you had in Sunday school uh, growing up. Uh, if you watch uh, the, the, the Chosen, then you might think about uh, that or maybe some other movie you've seen about Scripture, about the Gospels. Um, what is it that comes to mind when you think about Jesus? It's easy for us to think about Jesus in the past tense, isn't it? I, I, th I think that's how many of us think about him. We think about Jesus in the past tense. Um, or we think about Jesus in the future tense. He's going to come back, right? But do we ever think about Jesus in the present tense? Like, what is he doing today? Like, who is he now? Right? And, and so when we think about Jesus, it's important for us to think about Jesus in all those senses. That, that Jesus is God in flesh. He is God from eternity past. He is God today. He is God in eternity future. That's what it means to believe in the Trinity. That we also, uh, it's easy for us to, for, to forget about the power of Jesus. To forget about the power of Jesus. Just read through the Gospel of Mark sometime and rediscover the power of Jesus to heal and to work miracles. When you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice the word immediately, immediately, immediately is just constant string after string of these incredible things that Jesus did in his ministry. Do you believe that he actually did those things, that he can still do those things, or is that just a thing of the past? Or is that just a book of fairy tales that we tell to inspire ourselves? Right? Do we believe that Jesus is powerful to save today? That he is the firstborn over all creation. There's a clear distinction between Jesus and us. Right? That we were created in the image of God, right? man and woman, created in the imago Dei, created in the image of God, to reflect him as his ambassadors and representatives here on earth. We believe that. That's what it means to be a human being, that we, we carry Christ's image into the world, which is why atheists can look around 
and say, look at how spectacular this world is. You don't need God. You have glimpses of beauty and holiness all around us. And we, as Christians, say, that's true. We do have little images pointing to the great God, to the holy creator over all things. And so, although we are also created in God's image, we are not the firstborn over all creation. Right? And so there's a distinction between Jesus and us. And so remember in ancient uh, cultures, what it meant to be the firstborn is that the firstborn would receive the, uh, the, the chief place as the uh, heir of a kingdom. Right? Just think about thrones and processions and uh, all that. Right? That the firstborn of a royal was heir over the kingdom. And so it's saying Jesus is the heir of creation. Uh, and, and then it continues. Not only is he the heir of creation, not only is he the firstborn over creation, in verse 16, it says, everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Did you realize that? That in creation, Genesis chapter 1, Jesus is there, actively at work, doing the work of creation. We don't often think about Jesus as the creator, but we believe in the Trinity. We are Trinitarian Christians, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three divine persons, one essence, right? Three persons, one essence. What that means is that whatever God does, all three persons of the Trinity does. So whenever you see God at work, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working. They never work independently from, from one another like, Jesus is like, don't worry, Holy Spirit, I got this one, right? Like, they, they work in perfect unity and harmony together. We see this in the very opening verses of the Bible. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see it? Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So there's God. God is there. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God, the Father, said the words of creation. John chapter 1, which Steve has already read for us, interprets these passages, this passage for us. That God the Father spoke, the Word became flesh, right? The Word, the God the Son, is active, getting his hands dirty, doing the work of creation, and what 
was over the surface of the depths? The Spirit of God. And how did God breathe life into humanity? But by his breath, by his Spirit. So we see the Father, the Son, the Spirit actively at work in creation. And so we see that Jesus is the creator. Do you think about that? Or do you just think that God, like, broke himself into the Trinity on Christmas morning? Right? God the Son has always existed. Jesus is his human name, right? That he was born as a man on Christmas morning and given the name Jesus. But that doesn't mean that God the Son was created or that God the Son was born on that day. That God the Son is as eternal as God the Father and God the Spirit. And he was born, he came to, among us as a man, that God the Son became one of us to save, to rescue, to give himself on the cross that we would be reconciled. Behold, the power of Jesus. Verse 16 continues, clarifying that he created all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So do you believe that Jesus is greater and more powerful than any angel or demon. We don't often think about the spiritual world beyond talking about God and Jesus, but the Bible talks quite a bit about the spiritual worlds, about angels and about demons. Unless we're going to disagree with Scripture, then we believe that there is visible and invisible. Some people hear that and they get scared. They say, well, that's beyond my grasp. That's beyond my power. It is. But it's not beyond Jesus' power. It's not beyond the Holy Spirit's power. That if you are in Christ, then you have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has united you with Christ. And you are safe in the heart of God. Do you believe that Jesus is greater and more powerful than any angel or demon? And so we don't give in to fear about the spiritual world. We don't feel the need to have to downplay or ignore or pretend it doesn't exist because it's scary or sometimes a little bit weird or we don't understand it. We can live with confidence in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is greater and more powerful than anything in this world? That Jesus is greater than your anxiety, your depression, your loneliness, your sickness, your debt, all of the things that stress you out and that keep you up at night? Do you believe that Jesus is greater than all of those things? Or do you believe 
or do you functionally act like Jesus' arms are too short to reach you or too weak to save? If you are struggling or suffering, pray for God's rescue, pray for healing, pray for God to save you from that thing that you're struggling from, while also recognizing that maybe he has you in that difficult place for a reason. Don't waste your suffering by rebelling against it so much that you turn your heart against the Lord and that you grow bitter. God is not torturing you, right? He's not just deciding to just be mean. But maybe the Lord has something for you in that. As hard as it is, maybe the Lord is doing something in you that years down the road, you'll be able to see why God allowed this season to happen in your life. Maybe you'll never understand why God allowed that thing to happen or why God never took that thing away from you. But will you continue to trust him with confidence that God will not, does not waste your suffering and that you are not suffering because God is too weak or dispassionate to care and to help. Verse 17 says that not only did God, not only did Jesus create all things, he holds all things together. Right? Some, some of you may have heard uh, philosophers talk about God as a great watchmaker, right, who beautifully crafts this watch piece, winds it up in all its precision, and then lets it go and sells it and gives it away, right? The watchmaker isn't really needed anymore unless something breaks, just lets it go. Is God like that with creation? That's not the God that we see in Scripture. We see God who has fine-tuned creation, who has made everything and said, it was good. And he stayed involved to the point that he gave himself to enter into our problem, to enter into the glory, to live, to suffer, to bleed, to die, to resurrect, and to return. God is not distant from his creation. God is not distant from you. So, if you nod your head at this, but you feel like Jesus can't help you, then there's a disconnect. Jesus is the author of creation, but he is the sustainer of life, and he is the coming judge. It says that by him, all things hold together. That includes you. By him, you hold together. Amen? Because there are a lot of days where I feel like I'm kind of falling apart. Let's be honest. So again, do you only think about Jesus in the past or the future tense? Jesus today, 
holds you, holds me together. Verse 18 proclaims that Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. That he is the beginning, he is the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. The New Testament consistently describes Christ as the head of the church. He is the most important thing about the church. Without Christ, the church is dead and has ceased to be a church. I think as fellow New Englanders, we all can drive through the center of every town and see the center of town just littered with churches, right? Just think about your hometown, right, the town that you live in, and you could probably think about lots of just beautiful buildings. And I was driving through my hometown recently with my family, and we're thinking, there's, there's, there's a, a church there. Um, like, I haven't seen that front door opened in years. I don't think I've ever seen anyone walk into or out of that church. That's not a... That, the Bible's never opened in that building. I, I don't... The gospel is not proclaimed. Christ is not head of that church. Is that a church? Or is that a building with the title church? Right? Any church that has lost Jesus has lost their head. That's a problem, right? And so is the question for you and for me and for South Shore Baptist Church is Jesus the most important thing about us? Is Jesus the most important thing in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in our men's ministry, in our women's ministry, in everything we do? Is the number one thing that every one of us would agree when it comes to bringing our kids to this thing or when we choose, am I going to go and attend this? Am I going to go and serve there? Is the number one concern Jesus? I want to make much of Jesus through that ministry. Verses 19 and 20. This is so, what a, a, a beautiful gospel statement. So I'm, I'm, I'm bundling these together. 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This brings it all together. The fullness of God. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Why does he matter? Why do we talk about Jesus so much? Did you know that uh, more than half of Gen Z, it's today's teenagers and college students, that more, of, more than half of Gen Z professes to be Christians. That's, that, that should be encouraging, right? Um, but only half of those professing Gen Z Christians believe that Jesus is God, and even fewer believe that he rose from the grave. 
So what are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching our teenagers? What do we, you and me, what do we believe about Jesus? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right, so you can come here to church every Sunday to SSBC. You can sing the songs, right? What do you actually believe about Jesus? It's not just enough to check off, yes, I'm a Christian. What do you actually believe about Jesus? If you cannot joyfully profess verses 19 and 20, then, friend, you are not a Christian. If 19 and 20 is not the song of your heart, then I want to invite you to talk with myself, with Pastor Steve, with someone who invited you to come, and to dig into that, right? To really explore what do you believe about Jesus? Don't treat that as like a, eh, I'll figure it out eventually. Right? What do you really believe about Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that Jesus is God. Right? He wasn't simply a prophet or a good teacher. He's not one savior among many's. Uh, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. That Jesus is the reconciler. And he did it through the cross where he actually died. And through the empty tomb where he actually rose from the grave. And he ascended into glory where he continues to lead and to care for you and for me. That Jesus is still active. He's not hibernating. He's not just taking a nap until he returns. That Jesus is still head of his church. That he is not watching you. He is watching over you. That Jesus is actively leading and ministering to his children through the Holy Spirit. And he will return to finish everything that he has started. That is Christianity. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon recently where he talked about the word gospel. And I, I know many of us have heard, what does the word gospel mean? It means good news, right? And, and, and Keller said, yes, it, it means good news. Another way you could interpret it is announcement of joy, right? It, it's, it's a proclamation. It, it, it's a compound word of these two words that's, that a herald, right, someone who goes to announce something, it's an announcement of joy. It's an announcement that makes the people who hear it glad. Is that what the gospel is to you? That's what the gospel is. The gospel is an announcement of joy. Because we have been saved and redeemed, not by our work, but we have been saved by the body of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us this Jesus who literally created everything, of Jesus who is more powerful than any angel or demon or anything else that could threaten us, that this Jesus came, he actually bled real human blood on the cross, he died as our substitute, and he rose victoriously so that we could be forgiven of our sin, 
and reconciled to the Father. That is a joyful announcement, isn't it? And so, verses 21 through 23, Paul takes these incredible truths about Jesus and he applies them to our human condition. When you look at the first verses, uh, of verses 15 through 20, it's written in stanzas because it's a poem. It's a hymn. It's a song of praise. And then he applies this in verses 21 through 23 to you and me, to his Colossian readers. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as, is, as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. That we were alienated and hostile in our minds against God. Sometimes we prefer to think about non-believers as simply lost. But the Bible teaches that apart from God's reconciling work through Jesus, that we all, apart from that work, that we are alienated and hostile against God. And that is evidenced by our evil actions. This isn't a judgment to say that all non-Christians are as evil and as sinful as they could be. I don't believe that. I don't believe that we are all as terrible as we could be. But we are sinners apart from the work of Christ. It's simply to say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we as men and women, who we don't like being told what to do or what to think. And the revulsion that we often feel and that we often hear others say to this statement is just proof and evidence that it's true. And so when you're talking to a non-believer, if you tell them that because you are not a believer, you are alienated and hostile to God, what kind of response do you expect to get? I mean, it's not really going to win you any favors. Like, oh, tell me more. And so I'm not necessarily saying this is the tactic to go, but how, how do we understand our condition before the Lord? And how do we understand the condition of our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, of our enemies? Um, this is why we share the gospel with compassion, with love, with grace, because we know when I look back on my life apart from Christ, it's true. When I look back, apart from Christ, ap apart from the work of, of the Holy Spirit, I am alienated and hostile to God. But thanks be to God that he did his work before I even believed. That he did his work to open my eyes, to bring me to life, 
so that I could behold Christ and say, my Lord and my God. Are you praying for the lost? And are you only praying for them? You need to pray for them. But we need to talk to them too. The gospel is a joyful announcement. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Verse 22 is just incredible. He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Catch this. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. The gospel is good news because there was real bad news. That you were alienated and hostile to God. But God did all the work. That he paid the price. And he guarantees your holiness, the holiness that you need. And what does he do in you? That brother, sister, Christian, do you believe that this is true about you? That in Christ that he is presenting you holy, faultless, and blameless? Or do you look in the mirror and all you dwell on is your sin? All you dwell on is your weakness. All you dwell on is your shortcoming. Don't turn a blind eye to those because the Christian life is a life of repentance. And Christians need to know how to confess their sin. Right? But in Christ, what do you think Jesus thinks about you? Do you think Jesus thinks about you and just nods, shakes his head? It's like, Ugh. yeah, that one's one of mine. <laughs> or does Jesus look at you and say, I am doing a good work in that one? And one day, not quite yet, but one day soon, he or she will be holy, faultless, and blameless. And it's going to be magnificent. And so this is the gospel, that God has done it all. It rests on his shoulders, not yours. Thank God. It's up to him to redeem, to save, to provide. Uh, Jesus isn't merely some nice teacher who lived a long time ago. He's not just some nice guy who uh, likes to carry around little lambs on his shoulders. Right? Anyone else? That, that's my mental picture from flannel graphs a long time ago. Like that Jesus is the author of creation. That Jesus has dominion and power over all things visible and invisible. That this is Jesus. This is the one we worship. He is our head. Let's not lose him. So because of Jesus, I will be presented holy, faultless, and blameless before God. Not because God merely overlooks my sin, and not because I've attained a righteousness of my own, but because I have been reconciled to God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That because of Jesus, I live with an eternal hope that's also a daily hope, a present tense hope. 
I don't trust God with my eternity while doubting his provision today. That would make no sense. Because Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, not simply the firstborn over people who are like me, right? that he is the savior of all. That that's why Paul concludes by saying the gospel, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. That Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the one who we joyfully announce. And so what about you? Are you a Christian who believes these things, but you let your daily stresses blind you to your Father in heaven? Are you willing to trust God with your eternity, but not with today? You'll give him your soul, but not your time or money. That Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Keep your eyes fixed on him in all things, holding your life with an open hand, because you really do trust him. And if you're not a believer, I want you to be reconciled with God. I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit would do his work to reconcile you to God and to give you faith. If you'd like to talk with myself or Pastor Steve or uh, someone at our welcome desk or maybe someone who invited you to come, uh, don't leave this morning without doing that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship you because you are worthy. You're worthy. Would you continue to do your sanctifying work in us and among us this morning and this week? Lord, fill us with wonder at who you are. Give us a fresh passion to proclaim the gospel, announcing the joyful news that Jesus Christ has reconciled sinners to God through his own blood. Establish us in hope, not just hope for eternity, but a daily hope that transforms the way we live today and tomorrow and the day after. Lord, we pray this because you are faithful and you have done all things. In Christ we pray. Amen.